All right, welcome again to Permaculture Tonight. We have Paul Wheaton on today, and we're actually currently at the Baker Creek Heirloom Expo. Baker Creek is a seed company based in Missouri. They also have shops um, that they're partnered with in Connecticut and California, one in Petaluma, the Petaluma Seed Bank. It's absolutely incredible. It's one of my favorite places in the world, and every year they throw this event called the Heirloom Expo, and my family and I, we go we go every single year. It's we absolutely love it. You get to see more diversity in food than anywhere else in the entire world that I've ever been and it's absolutely incredible and it has more melons um, that you can taste, the entire rainbow, and as you taste them, you get seed save. There's just there's a seed swap. It's it's this it's this incredible event happening in Santa Rosa, California, every single year um, right now. And I used to take 50 to 60 uh, children and parents to it every single year, and then that was when I was a public school educator. And now, I get to go there as a vendor for my book. I get to go, uh, and, and, and for my course, I get to go there as a speaker on Thursday. I'm speaking um, on how children are the seeds on Thursday at 2. And we're also doing an event on uh, the, kids, uh, the kids' day. We're doing a kids' activity. We're going to be doing how to make seed balls. And we're going to be doing that with Chef Seth Peterson. He is the permaculture chef. And we'll be doing that with Cassie Langstrad of permies.com. It'll be super fun. Maybe we'll take some footage of that and share that. So yeah, it's going really, really well. We have people signing up for the Permaculture Student Online left and right. It's super exciting. By this time next week, we are going to be in full swing with the course. And I welcome all of you to join us. It's an all-ages course. It is highly recommended. Um, Jack Spierko pledged to take it with us. We are going to be having um, parents, retired couples, uh, families, and teens all joining us for the course. And there's even groups of homeschoolers because I sell the course so that it can be shared with groups um, in a learning context. Enrollment is currently live for the Permaculture Student online. You can go to thepermaculturestudent.com, click on Shop, and you can choose the course and you can choose to pay monthly 175 for the next three months or you can pay in one lump sum and get a discount for 450 for three months and that's one to two hours of video every week the videos are the lecture of the topics for that week the cooking lessons for that week the the plant focus for that week and all these things you get on top of getting coloring pages, worksheets, activities, projects, recipes, printouts with a teacher's guide. And each week I do a Q&A where I answer all your questions and you get it in a video at the end of the week. I provide everything that you need so that anyone has the ability to learn all these skills to provide for themselves sustainably. We have seed saving, seed to table cooking, food preservation, everything you need. So check out thepermaculturestudent.com, click on the shop, and click on the course. It is an opportunity to learn permaculture in a holistic way.
in a way that's not just a PDC where it's an information dump, where it's an experience that's hands-on that you can learn with the family, that you can learn and relearn as you go up the teacher's guide and go up the cognitive levels. It's going to be incredible. We're going to have so much fun. Next week at this time, we're going to be in session, so sign up soon because we go live September 15th. Well, you guys are a resource like no other resource on the internet. You guys provide answers in a collaborative format, which is so permaculture, right, in and of itself. But then you you oversee it in a way that must happen for us to get you know clear, because because you created a system that people can go and review these things, and it's clear because you've you've edited out all the crap and kept out advertisements and, and, and spammers and all that crap and what you've done is you've created this resource that's a library for permaculture and there's no other resource like it and it's like I don't know it's like 40 dictionaries and, and 50 <laughs> almanacs put together you know well I, I like to think that it's the best I, I, I should point out that about once every two months Somebody stands up to say that permies.com is terrible and it's awful and the way we're doing it is all wrong and things like that. And, and my position is is that the way that we're doing permies.com, the way we're managing the forums, which is like 95% of permies.com, um, that's a way. I, I have selected a path. And I've said, I only want to talk about these things in this way and everything else I don't allow to be published here. And um, and I think it's the best way, but hey, you know, if people don't like it, you create other forums. And there are other forums. Um, PRI has forums. Um, there's other forums for homesteading and stuff. There are other forums for permaculture and stuff. Um, and it's like, you know, just go to whichever ones that you think are the best. Now, I created these forums because I tried to talk about stuff about permaculture in different places. And, like, at PRI, I was told I was an American, therefore I'm a dumb f and I, you know, uh, have no business talking about permaculture. I went to the permaculture mailing list, and it was like everything was turned into a very political thing. I tried going to homesteadingtoday.com, and it was like, if you're not using Roundup, you're just not farming. And wherever I went to try and have a conversation about something as simple as culture, I just wasn't allowed to have that conversation. I just couldn't seem to get anywhere. So I created permies.com. And and I and basically it's like uh, the only rule is be nice and we and I'm the only guy that interprets what that means. I've I've had people come up to me and say, "Well, that's not nice, so you have to delete it." And it's like, "Ho ho ho. I actually think it's nice, so I'm going to not delete it." Weird, huh? So I think it, I think what we've got here is something that doesn't work for everybody. It only works for about 90% of the people out there. Well, I think I think what you hit upon there where you're saying that you allow for opinions that you agree with to be on there, I don't really see that very often unless it's something you're posting about something you care about, and that's a personal post. And people do those all the time, 
And we like a lot. I mean, I feel like it's a form that you work things out. You work things out uh, on your farm. You work things out with your family. There's all these different things that that are tools and solutions that you provide. And I really don't see. And I know that people have said that that there's opinions and and those kind of things. But I really just don't see that. And I feel that you don't even need to. You don't even need to um, kind of predicate it that in that way. Like Permies is an amazing resource. I think it's good for a hundred percent of people, and I think that the naysayers that are on there really are highlighting like advantages that that you guys expose. I mean, you guys show when it's like it's you posting shows how many posts you have. It it's transparent, and a lot of people don't like that. And so, you know what I mean? You've designed a system that some people don't like because it's designed to help everyone regardless of, of who they are now i think i think that that's what it is i think I, I think it will help everyone but then i'm going to have there's going to be this occasional person who stands up and says this place is a nightmare and and it's like oh you know okay well it's not a fit for you there's other places that you can go for some permaculture people it's like you just can't talk about permaculture unless it's 90 percent about politics or 90 percent about religion or 90% about philosophy or 90% about, you know, hating people or something. And it's like, or they need to be, they feel like they need to be perfectly anonymous in their special flavor of anonymous. And it's like, oh, I, I get it that you really need a place for that. This is just not that place. So the end result has been, I believe that, because when you go to these other places, most other places on the internet are very in my opinion, very hostile. And and so I believe that what I've created here is a place where that hostility cannot exist. And and of course, those people that sport that kind of hostility and they get to permies and they try to express that kind of hostility and I shut it down, then they think that I'm the one that's hostile. And I'm like, I'm cool with that. You go ahead and think that I'm not going to publish your shit. <laughs> so it's a way it's a style I guess that's the thing I want to emphasize I created it this way a very long time ago it was teeny tiny and it is now blossomed grown you know it's 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 now crazy massive and we just have I mean I think we serve over a million people per month right now there's another aspect to this that we might be overlooking the Dewey Decimal System is not always being taught in school any longer. So organizational and the ability to go through and analyze and to just work with references um, and catalogs is very difficult for some people if they are of a, of a certain age or below a certain age. And so I'm just saying that the system, is it's systematized. And actually, this leads into what I wanted to talk about. For those of you who are members of the forums, you've probably gotten an option. You, you've probably gotten a chance to see the beta version of permies.com. And <laughs> it is amazing how comfortable it is and clear it is. And I, I, I put it on and it kind of, I, I stopped and had to just look at everything for a while. Because it's so different, and it and it really is. It's so much more comfortable. Well, it's a long 
job that, I mean, it was 2012 that Alexander Ojeda and I, the guy who helped make those, I mean, he's the artist behind the permaculture playing cards, but we we did this, we, we made a bunch of sample screens of this in 2012, and um, uh, fortunately some of the Code Ranch staff uh, have come around to help us make it a reality. Uh, I like it a lot. And again, you know, it seems like a lot of people really, really like it. And then there's a few people that are that absolutely hate it. And it's like, I think that's kind of the way all of life kind of goes. In fact, if you've got 90% really liking it, I think that's a win, isn't it? <laughs> right, because, I mean, everything take, anything good requires a learning curve. And anything requiring a learning curve is going to get um, opposition initially. Sure. Um, and, and I, I kind of feel like, um, I, well, there's, there's lots to talk about down this road, and I've got a lot of passionate philosophies about it, and you know, I, I would like to take time to talk about like, well, Gandhi had a million detractors, and Mother Teresa, boy, there was a bunch of people that hated her, and uh, and Lincoln, boy, that John Wilkes Booth guy didn't like him very much, did he? And so every time you go out to do anything, you're going to have detractors. But that, that's, that's an entire, that's a massive, massive area. The only way to not be pissing people off is to do nothing at all. I, I mean, I can't, I've tried several times to think of like somebody who's done amazing, great things and had zero detractors. Can Matt, can you, can you think of anybody? I mean, just out of curiosity. You know, like, it, it, it's funny because you're starting to make me feel better about, like, you know, coming up against opposition when I'm trying to do things, you know, and it's hard. It's because it, you, it forces you to reflect and, and, and to analyze. But at the end of the day, you kind of realize that you can't compare apples to oranges and someone else who is working for a boss at a job who's getting a paycheck you know what I mean, like a pelletized little paycheck. Right. And a person who's not doing that with a family and bills to pay and medical, all that, it's like so different um, that like the judgment thing is like ludicrous. <laughs> uh, it's, well, <laughs> it's, it, it is kind of funny how people will critique certain things and it, and it kind of seems like seriously and and I do kind of feel like a lot of the people that are critiquing and it's it's been my experience that the people that have the most negative things to say they haven't even spent a full two minutes researching the topic that they're critiquing you know True. so I, True. I think rocket mass heaters have been a great example of that I think almost all of the stuff I've seen about rocket mass heaters it's been negative it's like they it's like we'll have a rocket mass heater and they'll point at it and they'll call it a rocket stove, and then they'll argue about how it puts carbon monoxide into the air in the house. Oh, and they don't. They sound like, like they work for the EPA to me. <laughs> well, no, I mean it's uh, basically what it happens is that a, is that a rocket stove is a totally different thing, which is designed for outdoor use, and a rocket mass heater is designed for indoor use but it has a vent to the outside its exhaust is sent outside and so then they keep pointing to it to say it doesn't work because they say that rocket stove doesn't work because of the you know of the carbon monoxide that's in the house 
and it's kind of like you know it's it's such it's it's like it's so clear they're not even trying to understand they're, yeah well that's know, the i think that's the the kicker is they're totally not trying to understand and i think that that's what this 10 percent that we kind of keep coming up against is it they they have no desire and that's why we need it as design to regularly clean our systems so that we can have good websites that have good comments that have people who are respected and that can ask honest questions and get the feedback they need to improve their lives right and that's really what it's about is we're we're really like kind of like fighting and it feels like we're fighting against people who are supposed to be on our own side but i honestly don't think they're on, they're on our side they're pathologically um, against us. <laughs> I, I think that's true. I, I think there's there's a, a bunch of different flavors of like who are our detractors. But the, I think at Permies what we do is it's like, okay, and a lot of them start talking about how GMOs are great or whatever. And it's like, oh, no, on permies.com, we don't allow GMO discussion. And so you want to talk about GMOs, you got to go someplace else. Yeah. This site is dedicated to the people that have already made the decision that GMOs are a bad thing and we want to grow our food without it. Not and so sad. this is for those people. Right, right. So it's it's like, uh, same thing goes for pesticides. Oh, you know, pesticides. It's like, nope, nope, not for discussion here at permies.com. This is for talking about way beyond pesticides. In fact, we're trying to talk about how to move away from the OMRI-approved stuff that the organic people use. And so we explore what organic people do, and we talk about how that's not acceptable and how you know we, we want to move into a more permaculture approach to growing food. And so that's functional, because if you just start a conversation with what's wrong with organic, you're going to have so many people just confused right off the bat. And... We don't have time for that. We have to get our answers, and that's what's so great about your resources. It's clean. You've gone through and you've made it so that it's like an actual reference. You have people with honest questions. You have great, educated answers based upon experience. You have pictures. You have videos. It's this unbelievable resource. And so... I, I know you have a team working with you, but there was this, this I, I listened to your podcast, and so there was this time where you were talking, and I kind of like listened to it, and chuckled, and kept like working, because I was listening to it as it worked, and you said you were always on the computer, and you have this, it's hard, there's this rub between fighting to get outside and do something, and to do business, and you know, at my job as a teacher, at school, I was able to, like, do all this stuff at lunch hour, at all this stuff. You know what I mean? I, 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 it was just built in. I had all this money. I had all summer off and everything. And I was able, I, I felt like I had all this time. But now that I, like, run my own business, holy cow, it is off to the races with time. And, <laughs> and I'm, always, I'm always working. And now because I'm running this online, this online course, I'm literally just editing video. And I am becoming like the music and video editing master right now. <laughs> and and it, it kind of turns into this whole thing of where it's like, okay, of all the things that have to be done today, um, 70% of them are just not going to get done. And they're not going to get done either. They're going to be... They're going to be 70% of the things that are on the to-do list today will not only not get done today, 
but they won't get done ever. And it's like there's just no other way. Because I, I imagine you're seeing a lot of the same stuff. Because tomorrow there's going to be a whole new list of stuff to get done, most of which I didn't even know was coming down the pipe. And and it's like so each day it's like I can only accomplish this much in a day. And so 70% of the stuff I have to get done is just not ever going to get done. Both our cars are in the shop. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, so, and then some people are being like, what? Why is your car in the shop? You should fix that yourself. And, and it's like, uh, you should learn how to fix. You should learn how to care for your own vehicle. And if you can't learn how to care for it, you should get a vehicle that you can learn how to care for. And at some point in time, it's just like, you know what? I've, I've got to... I've got to draw a line somewhere. Right. And um, so I, I got to the point in the last couple of years where um, I, I just kept thinking, I'll work harder. I'll, I'll get more done. I'll, I'll make it so that I'm only n- not getting to 60%. <laughs> so try to move myself from accomplishing 30% to accomplishing 40%. And, and it's like, that was, that was too much. I, and now I've, I've backed off and it's like, I just, I'm getting used to just letting a lot of stuff go. Um, it's just the way it's gotta be. And, and, but, and now I imagine, and that's kind of like part of, I think it's just part of being a, a person who works at home. I, I, I think I kind of feel like, for the stuff that's going on outside, I can delegate that to, you know, a bunch of the people that are here. But there's a bunch of stuff that that is on my computer that only I can do. Right. And, and so I've got to do that, and i got to delegate what can be delegated. So there's two things that that reminds me of. my One of my mentors, when I started teaching, uh, my one of my master teachers cho- uh, told me, he said... You have to choose which hill to die on, and you can't you can't do it on everything. It's like is that are, is writing essays the thing this year, or is it going to be public speaking? You can't have it all. You got to pick one. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> but now, of course, you are making a book and you are doing video editing, and so you're not following the advice that your teacher gave you. Right, but then, well. I, I did. I, I stopped doing my job, right? I just I quit my job. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. but I would say number two, the caveat for all this is Da Vinci, and this is kind of the Renaissance man. Like we're all warned about being the Renaissance man, but at the same time, there is that that dialogue in history of the Renaissance man about we have great men throughout history who have been exemplars, who have left their lives as these undone masterpieces and people puzzle and they inspire over it and I really think that this idea of doing so much and reaching so far and leaving things undone in your wake is a is a way to create history because people will pick up those things you leave undone and they will continue and walk them forward and carry them forward. I'm gonna say maybe, <laughs> and maybe not on the inter, maybe not on your computer, but like, uh-huh. but but like on your actual computer maybe, um, but like on the posts you leave, on ideas you propose, on permies.com, all these different things that we're all doing, we're creating these ripples, I believe, for positivity, and so I think that 
we need to be okay with 70% of what we do um, being good ideas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be more okay with what I'm able to do. Um, and, and there's a lot of people here. In fact, there was, a, there was somebody that was, uh, he's doing the editing for the rocket mass heater DVDs and he was on the phone with me and he says, you know, I've been there at your place and I see the people who get your face to face time there. And, um, and he says, I need to get that much face to face time too. So I need at least to get you on the phone to be able to talk about the editing things of the day to day editing. And so, and I'm kind of thinking like, how the hell am I going to come up with more time like that? And, but I'm kind of thinking like, well, maybe what I need to do is I need to spend less time with the people that are face to face here kind of a thing, but, oh, it's so complicated. All right. So we should talk about permaculture instead of talking about how to organize your life to get more done. Yeah. Well, I've, I feel like that's a big part of permaculture because everyone's trying to figure out how to do their day job, their family and what's outside. And for me, it took like like your philosophy, uh, and, and it's. I feel like people have been talking about how you shouldn't use the word lazy when it comes to gardening. But I I think I think there's something there <laughs> because if you are doing it, if you are stacking functions so well that your neighbor looks at you and goes, he doesn't do any work. How the heck does he have that garden? You've done it right. Yes. And plus, this is kind of the promise of permaculture, is it not? Is that you will work less. That, that you know, when you do the work in the first year, you're effectively giving a gift to your future self. So here we are talking about how to get more work done um, and, and how we're so low on time and everything. It, it, I, I think you and I are not setting a good example <laughs> for the other people. But I, I think it is fair to point out that the, the stuff that I think we're both doing is not so much out in the physical world of where we make our permaculture contributions to benefit from in the future. We are putting too much time in on the computer, which I, I think that the work that I'm doing is a lot to connect millions of people to permaculture ideas and so I feel like the more I do that the more that the world moves in a permaculture direction and it's like I, I feel like I have been blessed with a very rare opportunity to be able to do that to be able to have a, a very serious impact and I I should take that time. So I'm sacrificing my own space to be able to do this. Although, fortunately, there are a lot of people here who are helping me with my own space, and my space, my own space is moving forward also. But it's it's hard to turn away. It's hard to say I'm going to just not talk to all these millions of people. I'm just going to go do my own thing. That's hard. It certainly feels good for a day, but then you feel guilty. <laughs> it, it's uh yeah yeah wow it, so important so important and you know if if um if 50 million people did hugel culture what would that 
what would that be like? What would that do? Right. How would that change the world? Right. Can we can we end world hunger if if a uh, hundred million people do rocket mass heaters? I mean, that would dramatically that would noticeably reduce the the amount of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, as as well as um, reduce overall pollution um, from a, a variety of energy sources. That might bring about the end of fracking. Can, uh, you know, I wanted to talk about that. I, I was thinking about rocket mass um, water heaters on the outside of the house would be the fastest way to sell them to people because you over you step over that dumb argument they have about being inside the house. And because it's a water heater, uh, I don't know, regulatory-wise, it would be faster probably to get it through it, right? Well, that's a that's a very good point. Um, I, I think that that's, that's possible. Um I mean, we—it's funny. I, I think I spent over an hour this morning talking to a guy about d- different designs for making a rocket hot tub. Um, because we've got the Innovators event coming up, yeah. and that's one of the projects that's slated. But the general design of it still hasn't been decided on. There's so much debate happening right now. But um, uh, with the system that you're talking about. That is a pressurized system, and that is dangerous. You got to be yeah, careful. Yeah, boom squish. <laughs> exactly, boom squish. So, uh, the other thing is, is that um, a, I mean, when you do a, when you use a rocket mass heater, you get two huge benefits. Uh, one is is that you reduce emissions to the outdoors by a factor of ten or more. So less one tenth of the carbon dioxide, uh, one one tenth of the other general pollutants. Um, so and and then uh, the the other side effect is is that you're heating your home with one tenth the wood, um, and so it's much less effort, uh, and you don't have to have a fire through the night. Uh, those kinds of things. There's there's all these little little benefits. Now if you do it as an outside thing and you're running hot water, you know, back and forth from your house and stuff, um, you lose a fair bit there um, by doing that. So I would say doing it in the house is smarter, although you might come up with something where you you know, burn the fire in the house and then that and then the heat can be distributed throughout the house and you know, possibly an alternative way. Right. Totally. I just, it just came to me because we, uh, we're getting our water heater to turn back on. Our water heater broke and had a leak and all this stuff. So we haven't had water, uh, hot water for a bit. Ah, okay. All right. Well, along those lines, one of the things that we've been having tremendous success with is, uh, using the Jean Payne technique. where you create a compost pile and then you coil pipe through it and then it's like infinite hot water that's absolutely Um, incredible so so i I, i've seen the videos you're doing this regularly you're showering in it right we've got a i mean we've got a big pile down here next to our shower shack and um uh this year our pile is is running cooler than last year, so we haven't yet been able to get the temperature of the pile up to where it makes scalding hot water, 
which is what we had last year. Um, Maybe pee on it. Which is exactly what we do. We've, we've built this huge structure around the pile so that people could go and, and pee on the pile and add more nitrogen. And that does help. That gets the temperature up. Um, and we've got a, oodles of things that we do to try and, and get the temperature up. And, uh, and so currently it's, it's, it's like um, I would have to say that the temperature of the hot water that we get out of it is probably around 95 to 100 degrees. So like not hot enough to even be hot tub hot. Right. You know, but plenty hot enough so that you're not taking a cold shower. <laughs> you know, and so it's... But last year, we definitely had scalding hot. So to, to answer your question, yeah, we're doing this. And um, uh, we need to optimize our systems a little bit. But yeah, we're doing this. That's so cool. So how did you shred it? Because I've looked at the Jean Pan shredder and shipping from France is crazy. <laughs> I, I am not a fan of, uh, of having a chipper or shredder. I don't... I don't like those tools. Okay, well, so so, what do you do? Well, I mean, you get a lot of organic matter. I mean, it's a compost pile. Right. That's all it is. It's really pretty simple. I mean, so I, the temperature differential could field. simply be the co composition of the pile. I mean, you can make compost out of all sorts of different things. Agreed. But I do believe that when you're going to use the Jean Payne technique, because like a lot of like expert composters are all like, oh, I'm going to make a pile that'll get to like, you know, this crazy hot temperature and it'll be all composted and done in two weeks. Or, uh, you know, sometimes they'll, you know, usually it's like, oh, in a month, you know, your compost is done and now you take it. But um, I, I believe that with the Jean Payne technique, what you want is you want to run you want to run a cooler pile so you'll put a lot of carbon in it well high density and, that's what the wood the wood right the woody the the woody sticks and, and trees right right a lot of woody bits in it you put a lot of woody bits in it and um uh but he, so normally it's it's a ratio of 30 to 1 where it's um 30 parts carbon to every part nitrogen and um and you get your mixture just right and then you get a very, very hot pile. You'll get that scalding hot water coming out of it. But then the pile will be all done in like 30 days. Right. And it's like, but we don't want that. We want this pile to stay hot for like five months. Have you thought about capturing the methane? Oh, that's a... Some people do that. You know, that's that's their thing. I'm going to just say it's not my thing. It's dangerous. Um, <laughs> I mean, and plus on top of that is kind of like um, uh, it's it. You don't get that much methane off of it. You get some, but it's it's like it's not that much. And then you got to kind of seal the pile off, and you got to get into more of an anaerobic state, which kind of bothers me. Well, yeah, so, it stinks. And if that, if it stinks, you're doing something wrong. You're doing it wrong. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And if it smells bad, you're doing it wrong. And and I got to tell you, this, we had somebody here earlier this year, this last spring, and he found a dead raccoon on the side of the road. And then he came here, and he was so happy. And he said, he said, look, I, I brought you a gift. 
I don't understand. It's like, I'm going to put it into the big compost pile for heating the hot water in the showers. I don't think that's a good idea. And it's like, but now he's already got it. I said, okay, tell you what, you can go ahead and put it in there. Make sure you bury it deep. The center, actually. But please don't bring me any more roadkill, okay? Yeah, (laughs) I I think for a pile, you can only do one small animal in the center at the beginning when it is incredibly hot and it is the moment, you know what I mean, where everything ignites. Well, Joel Salatin, um, he composts all the offal from his chickens, when he harvests chickens. And I remember I saw him probably about eight years ago and he was talking about that and and I'm just some doofus in the audience and I raised my hand and I said can't you take that and feed all that awful like on butchering day or even during the butchering like every time you get a five gallon bucket of this stuff somebody can take it out and feed it to the hogs and he said I can and that would be the smart thing to do but I think my customers can only buy into so much weirdness, and that would probably be too much for them. Oh. And and I kind of I kind of felt like what he said was is I'm awesome <laughs> and brilliant and all of that stuff, and yeah, and he's going to not do it just because he thinks his customers might get wiggy. And I I'd, I'd like to. To, I'd like him to, to go ahead and feed that to his hogs. But, all right, uh, on, the, on the point about the, the raccoon, the roadkill raccoon, um, the pile wasn't getting hot enough. Oh, and yeah. So we decided to take the pile apart and, and rebuild it, putting a lot more nitrogen into the pile as it was rebuilt. And then when we got to that raccoon, oh, what a... A horrible, horrible thing. Never again. <laughs> Never again. Never again. I've done so, it with a chicken, but I've only done it like the way Jeff Lawton says, which is in the center of a compost with it mixed exactly right, and in that ignition where you leave it alone and let it get up to that peak temperature, and after three days, and then and you, you you measure the temperature with with a thermometer, and you have to get to a certain range. I think between fifty and sixty Celsius, and I don't know if that's right, but but maybe I just can't. I don't have it in front of me, but 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 literally it disappeared. The chicken disappeared, and the yeah. compost was great. So it does work, but I wouldn't do it any other way. Like for instance, I I did the bean thing on a hill, like the way Jeff does, sort of, and I did it sort of. Didn't work very well, and then I was like, okay, Matt. You must buy the big sack of beans, inoculate them, and literally take handfuls and throw them on the ground and walk away. And so I did it. I coated the ground, and my soil in that area is three to four feet of topsoil now. I kid you not. Yeah. Farmers come (laughs) over, and they shove their arms into the ground, and they just start, like, giggling and laughing. You're like, okay, now you come over to my house and do this. And so, and it works, you know, but if you don't do it exactly right, like with the rocket mass heater, you're not going to get your result. And you know, with dead animals, you could poison someone, you get someone real sick, you know, and with little children and old people, you could kill them. So, it's really important that whenever you mess with 
anything really dangerous like like that smells that your body's already telling you no All right um, that you respect it and do it exactly right so now I got a couple of things to say in this space. Totally, and, totally. And, and so one of them is, is that I think that if I've got something that's dead, that rather than composting it, because here's here's the problem. So I've got a compost pile, but in general I don't compost. And and it's like I like the, how we're getting this hot water out of this system, uh, and that's cool, that's great, but. For the most part, I don't like the idea of composting. I, I used to compost oodles. I used to have compost tumblers. I had two compost tumblers. Ooh. I had, you know, massive, massive compost piles, which I turned regularly. And I mean, oh, you know, I, I had all these these sifters so I could get the perfect compost to use in the perfect way and do all this magic stuff. And, and I'd even go off-site to go get compostable material and then go through all this stuff to be able to, and it's like, and now I've, I've, after years and years and years of composting, I've gotten to the point where it's like, in general, I don't like composting. Now, if I want to make hot water, I really like the composting system for that. But here's the thing. In order to get a compost pile, you're going to throw in a bunch of raw uh, uh, compostable material, and it'll be kitchen scraps and manures and and wood chips and straw and hay and and I mean there's all kinds of different things that you'll put into this pile to make compost. And and uh, and I want to confess up front, no, when you compost stuff, you end up with this gardener's gold. It's just the most awesome thing in the world to put on a garden. Or and, and there's so many different uses for it in a garden, and and really, I like the idea of permaculture. People like like half of permaculture is horticultural. I, I really love that. But you think about it: if you put a thousand pounds of compostable material in, you usually get back about fifty pounds of compost. And and it's kind of like, well, well, where did the rest of that go? And the answer is up into the atmosphere. Because the primary ingredients that you have in this are carbon and nitrogen. And so carbon, as as composting happens, the nitrogen goes up in the atmosphere. The atmosphere is 80% nitrogen. So the nitrogen goes up in the atmosphere. This is referred to as denitrification, which happens during the composting process. And then there's the carbon which will combine with oxygen during the composting process to make carbon dioxide. And, and it goes up into the atmosphere, and, and that's, that's the big greenhouse gas problem that we have. But we exhale but, that too, and plants breathe sure. it. So. Yeah, <laughs> but, but here's the big thing. Both carbon and nitrogen, these are the things that we need in our soil. I know. It's not an efficient way. It looks good, and that's why people do it, because they can see it happen, and then they, they're like the pro, and they can track it, and, and it's, it's very reductionist. It's very, it's, it, it's very Western, right? And so, it's, 
it's a cool novelty thing. Right. You, and so you put this stuff in a pile, it gets really hot and it gets much smaller. And what comes out is kind of gardener's gold. I'm beyond um, compost. Are you, you're beyond compost too in your garden? And, and so that's what I'm shooting for is what I call beyond compost. Yeah. And that's where, okay, a lot of this stuff, like, like you got your kitchen scraps. You know what's a great thing to do with kitchen scraps is to feed it to your chickens or right. your hogs. You know, and there's all kinds of critters on the farm that would p- far prefer to eat those those kitchen scraps. So it's like that's, and then it's like, okay, well, another thing that you put in your compost pile is manures. And it's like, what the hell are you doing so that you got a pile of manure to fool with to put into a compost pile? <laughs> it's like if you use paddock shift systems, you're moving these animals around so much and your soil is so rich and awesome that you never get a chance to go and get any kind of manures to put into your compost pile. So before and that, so there's so before you know it, you go down all these different paths for all these different bits of organic matter and you got nothing to make a pile out of. Yeah. So it's so like now I have that issue. We we don't have we don't have enough um, organic material around. And the reality is what Rosemary Morrow um, said to me uh, when, when we were going over the permaculture student together. She said, you know, a lot of times in the tropics, you just can't create compost. It doesn't stick. You have to, uh-huh. you have to, you have to change the soil in place. You have to use plants and, and seeds. And the, it's so brittle here, and it's breaking up so much here, the soil. It's, it's all decomposed granite. It's drying out. I, I know, I mean, are you breathing smoke every day? I'm breathing smoke every day. Where whereabouts are you? I'm I'm right in the I'm right in the county next to the Rough Fire, which is seventy thousand acres, uh, right near uh, Yosemite. Okay, all right. Well, I'm up in Montana, and and we've got a fair bit of smoke out here right now. It's not too bad today. Uh, in fact, I'm looking out the window now. I can see the mountain across the valley, pretty clearly. So I think we're doing I think we're doing pretty good. Um, today, but uh, three or four days ago, oh, it was pretty smoky here. Um, yeah, but... I was talking. To, I was actually t- talking to Kelly Ware about that because I mean it's a big concern on the West Coast right now. The smoke. Oh yeah, yeah. I, and it's kind of like you know these guys are are so worried about forest fires and, and there's so much of it um and i and i'm kind of thinking to myself like the way that they've been managing the forests here for over 100 years has been you know there's a big forest there you go in there and you cut down a bunch of trees and then you you take off all their branches and you put all the branches in a big pile and in the middle of winter you set the pile on fire and then of course you haul all the logs off to be turned into lumber Whereas if you never did that, then what's going to happen is is that eventually all those trees are going to fall over dead, lay on the ground, and then provide oodles of organic matter into the soil. Um, but since you know you're not allowing that to happen anymore, you're going in and you're cutting down these trees while they're green and taking them out and burning all the the branches and stuff, then the organic matter in the soil is being depleted. And so now after 100 years of hauling off all of this organic material, now your soil is very thin and pathetic and kind of sad. 
And um, now the trees that are left trying to grow in that, it's like they're not getting enough. You know, they're, they're sucking all the water out of the soil because they're desperate for water, whereas 100 years ago they were not desperate for water. And, you, and I think that in one of your, uh, one of your videos, Sepp Holzer talks about this, the way we planted uh, in America. Uh, and he was very insulted by the way we're handling our forests, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and part of it is, is nature, too. Nature's, I mean, so like right now, they're, they're worried about these different kinds of bark beetles. And, and it's kind of like, um, uh, you know, nature's kind of like, okay, look, here's the deal. Uh, you guys planted all these trees out here. That's Not right. what I probably would have planted. But, yeah, they're all right. You know, it is, it is a climax species. I could have gone with these. No problem. Um, but you took away all the organic matter, and now they just don't do good there. But don't worry about it. I'll fix it. Uh, here's what I'm going to do. I've got some funguses. i got some bark beetles. I'm going to send them in there to take it out. And we'll just grow something else there, okay? So now the foresters are like, oh, no, funguses and bark beetles. And, and so now they've got a war on basically Mother Nature. They're, like, trying to fight back against these bark beetles and they're trying to fight back against the funguses so that they can continue down this path that they've selected where they continue to rip out uh all all of the trees and the brand burn the branches and stuff like that and they want to have things keep going the way that they were going 100 years ago but they don't want to change how they go about it you know i think it's and this happens with um science and discovery i think they just don't understand what the function was of the forest around uh, their logging event. So, like, when we let fields go fallow, back in the day, there was forest around it. So all those elements of the forest would come in and, and re-inoculate the soil with all the different life. And so when you came back to it, it was fertile again. But when there's no forest anywhere, and you leave that field alone in the middle of Iowa... All it's getting is like secondhand pesticides. I, so, I I keep kind of thinking like one of the best examples of permaculture is when we look at how we manage honeybees, mm. and and it's kind of like because right now everybody's freaking out about colony collapse disorder, and really the message is is like you know you fuck with the bees that much, what did you think was going to happen? And and they're like, oh, it's it's uh, it's because of this particular virus and this particular fungus, and then they're like, but that particular virus, that particular fungus, is caused by this particular kind of pesticide that's being used in these kinds of plants, and and I'm kind of thinking that man, you guys are still not getting it, are you? It's like, oh, you know. You're you're tracking down how Mother Nature is saying, okay, look, you've tortured these bees long enough. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and take them out now. I'm gonna take these bees out. We're gonna have something else here. And uh, I know you want to pollinate all these almonds, but you know you're kind of growing a monocrop anyway. That's <laughs> just not gonna work here. So we're gonna I'm gonna fix this. Mother Nature's coming. I'm gonna fix this. I'm gonna take these bees out. So. It's like I think that I think we came up with a list of like twelve different things in the way twelve different things where we torture bees, and it's like if you if you put like eight of these, pick any eight, and if you do the eight of these things, your bees will die of something. 
and it might as well be colonic collapse disorder, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, if you did only one thing, which was those pesticides that are in those particular plants, but you didn't do any of the other things, then the bees would be fine. There would be no colony collapse disorder. But the fact that you're moving the bees thousands of miles every year with like five stops for different pollinations along the way, so that's one form of torture on the bees. And the other thing is you take away all their honey and you feed them back sugar water. That's number two. And then another one is is the whole thing where um, you're spraying them down with all kinds of chemicals in order to be able to kill all the mites. Then um, that's three. It doesn't do that stuff is poison to the bees as well as the mites. And then the next one is is the whole idea of like uh, you change the size of the cell that that they grow in, thus encouraging different kinds of mites. That's not helping either. But you, you see how this list gets going? I mean, we, you know, there's all these things. And, and then how about the thing where it's like, okay, we're going to put you in this field with almonds, and the only kind of nectar you're allowed to collect is almond nectar. That's it. It's a monocrop. You don't get to have any other kinds. That's, all, that's Your whole diet right now is almond nectar. And how long has this been going on? Um, decades. I mean, and, and so the genetics for these bees is all messed up. And then you know, genetics is another one on the list. Is like rather than having, um, like, like first of all, leave the bees in one place, and now the genetics can happen naturally. They can do their swarming thing, but instead, you know, oh, it goes on and on and on. But but the thing is, is like, yeah, you can build a local genetic pool based on survival of the fittest and so half your hives don't make it and half of them do the ones that do are the stronger ones then you know you've got a better chance of of having a go at it whereas right now what they're doing is they're just kind of making these bees produce more bees just as fast as they possibly can and then shipping them all over the world and you know they're not so they're not a strong local genetic pool it's a global pool of like where there is no survival of the fittest. Just everybody gets to have a go. But I, I think that's an, an excellent example of permaculture. If you you know if you if you actually care about the bees instead of you know trying to make the bees be your servant, then the bees will do fine. Bees do great. If you just leave them the hell alone and you don't torture them in all these different ways, then you don't have colony collapse disorder. There's, there's all of these examples of going totally treatment-free, and they have no colony collapse disorder at all. And they have no mites, and they have no foul brood. They have none of these problems. None of these problems. Are people observing wild bees? Well, of course, the kind of honeybees that we're talking about are not native to this area. Right. But I do believe that there are examples of wild bees, although it is kind of funny. Wild bees are illegal. <laughs> yeah, isn't that a kicker? And so, I, I, I wild, hate when they do this. They make nature illegal. They can't make nature illegal. 
Yeah, they're doing it though. I mean, if you think about it, it's like there's all kinds of species of plants that are illegal. Oh, I know. Yeah, and it's and and uh, you know we can get onto the whole thing about native plants, and it's kind of like um, uh, they've got a war against invasives. But they were invasive at one point too. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, today's invasives are, are the are most of the invasives on most of the plants that are on the invasives lists. Like, oh, you got to get rid of these. Most of them are good permaculture plants. Black locust mm. is a plant that's, that's listed on a lot of invasive species lists. Black and it's there. like, and of course, when they're listed, what's the thing that they're supposed to go do? They're supposed to go out there and spray it. Yeah. And, you know, so then it's kind of like, what? You got to, you know, so it's, then you start to find out, like, who's really behind this native plant movement? And and you'll find a lot of really lovely people. And behind the scenes, you'll find the herbicide companies. Well, here's a funny thing. Um, uh, my understanding is, is that right now all soybeans are owned by Monsanto. Monsanto currently has owns the patent on all soybeans. I didn't. I mean, I, I mean, five six years ago, I didn't realize you could ever own a patent on a plant, but apparently you can, and Monsanto owns it. Oh. So it's so. I I think that that's a strong enough thing. I've stopped eating all soy. Yeah, we don't need it. Um, We don't eat certain things because of that. I mean, we don't eat fish unless it's from someone's system that they've grown themselves. I mean, it's just, it's it's the world we currently live in. And even if people try to pretend like it doesn't exist and they watch, you know, Channel 4 News or Channel 5, it doesn't matter. It's... We 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 have to take control, and and that's that's why Permies is the way it is. Um, the, have you have you heard Paul Stamets' story about uh, about the the bears scratching trees and inoculating the trees with uh, with mushrooms, and then creating polypore mushrooms in those trees? But the foresters cut those down because they're bad trees. <laughs> It's, we, we're backwards in our society. We have good is bad and bad is good. And it's funny because all these different things that are happening, I mean, you can go through all these different like religions and different like science fiction novels, which are all, uh, I've noticed ha- half them are like prophetic now. Um, and they predicted what's happened to our world currently. And that gives me hope, even as it's scary, because we're predicting right now, you and I, with what we're doing, what we're spreading, the stories we're creating, we're predicting that everything's going to be okay and that everything's going to be resilient and sustainable. And that's what uh, I believe Permanence is, is all about. I think that for a lot of permaculture folk, that they'll learn little tidbits about permaculture and, and over a span of maybe a few months, and then... Um, and then one day it just clicks that the way we view everything is completely backwards. Yep. And it's not necessarily completely backwards, but it, it, it kind of feels that way. It's like, it's like all this time I've been walking north 
and and then I've I've now it clicks and I realize I've been going the wrong way. It's like you should really be going southeast or something like that. But that's that's a terrible analogy. I wish I had something better. But for I think for a lot of permaculture people, they pick up these little tidbits and then one day it clicks and suddenly you come to a realization Well, that was awesome. It was actually quite hard to get Paul Wheaton. I've been trying to get him on the show for a while. And uh, he's been a big supporter of what, uh, what I've been doing, uh, both online and uh, in my classroom for a, a couple years now. And I'm very thankful for him coming on. All of you, thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you find yourself one of these days at the Heirloom Expo. And I hope that some of you can make it to my online course next week and can sign up today on the permaculturestudent.com Have a good one. Why, but I count the days, keeping up track in a thousand